nice to see all of you come on in and have a seat. You're not late. You can actually sit. You want to sit next to the teacher? <laughs> We're out of handouts. So if there are any couples here that took two, then you have to practice the Sermon on the Mount. What did the Master say when you have two coats? and somebody else doesn't. A sermon on the plane, well, that's fine. Jesus said it sometime. Give up your other copy if you have one. Thank you. Come on in. Okay, my friends, uh, so happy to see you today. Um, Zev and I are excited about this course. We've been thinking and praying about it. Uh, and it has been already, for me, uh, very life-changing. And uh, I hope it will be for you as much as it has already been for me. So, uh, before I let Zeb talk for a little bit, I want to tell you about this course in a nutshell, using that old, tired trope. Okay, so let's, let's actually draw a nutshell on the board. It's going to be a big, fat walnut. And if you have your handout, you'll see that it has a subtitle, Mountain View, suggesting uh, that this is going to be a study of the Sermon on the Mount. But the first thing that we want to look at, or the first question is, we want to ask is what? You see from the cover page, what did Jesus see? What did Jesus really see? Up there, and as he gives his teaching, meaning we really, really drill into this and understand in many different ways, what Jesus actually taught. The sec second part is, what? What does he want us to see? So he's going to give us his vision, okay? So, the first part of the course, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to put it in its um, holistic structural context. We're going to show you how the Sermon on the Mount fits in with the whole book of Matthew. Okay, so next week, that's what we're going to do. We're going to show you the whole book of Matthew. Then the following week, Zev is going to give you a sort of a historical review. And I want to clarify something because he asked me to fix something on the syllabus, and I thought I did, but I don't know if I did. Look on page, um, the, page one, the outline of the course, uh, April 29th. You see how it says a rabbinic reading? Well, Zev doesn't really want to uh, <laughs> come across like he's absolutely giving some uh, rabbinic teaching or representative of it. But just understand, he, he knows this teaching. So I amended it. I just um, made a typo. I didn't amend the second one. Look, look down, to, or the first one. Zev's backgrounds and expertise in Hebrew and Christian uh, literature makes him a unique guide to how the scripture scholar movement. So that's how I amended it, Zev. Scripture scholar, meaning there have been people, Jews and Christians down through the ages that have uh, really looked at the Sermon on the Mount carefully. And Zev is in a unique position to give us that sort of an overview. So with that, the next week what we're going to do is go back to seventh grade and we're going to outline the Sermon on the Mount. And when I say we, I mean that in the most 
inclusive post-millennial way possible. <laughs> that means you. Uh, if you note, I showed this to Dan Moretta today in your handout. There is the Sermon on the Mount without cheater notes versus block headings to tell you what you're supposed to read. Not that anything's wrong with that, as Seinfeld said. There's nothing wrong with those things. But isn't it amazing that here we are and the whole Sermon on the Mount can be fit on what? Just a few pages in which I can't get open. Two or three pages, like the average size of a newspaper article. So, you're going to take that, and now you really have to work. When somebody doesn't break up all the paragraphs and all the verses and everything for you, you actually have to do something. Which is what? Really engage the text and tear it apart and break it down and say, do you remember seventh grade? Wasn't that fun? I loved it. The diagramming and the... I don't mean that kind of an outline. I mean drill into it so that you can start making your own paragraph divisions and follow the flow of Jesus' thought. You have many weeks to do this. You have how many weeks to do it? And of course, Zev will come that week too with the correct outline. No, we're going to bring our outlines and then we'll share and we'll learn together. That week we're going to do a synthesis and I hope to be bold enough to say we're going to get down to the heart, essence, core, quiddity of the Sermon on the Mount and what the Master uh, intended for it. And then what we're going to do <clears throat> is take all of this stuff over here and now turn to what does Jesus want us to see. Uh, how many of you are familiar with this document that was used in this class last fall? The um, Confessions, Reformation, and Social Justice intersect in the Boston Declaration. The Boston Declaration that was put out by people that care about how religion and society impact. How many? <laughs> Michael, the pastor, yeah. Were you the origin of like putting this forward as a, as a thing to look at? Well, um, Apparently you failed in your education. <laughs> no, I'm just... No, he did not fail. Because I got this, and I was like, wow, this is so perfect. And um, so we're going to incorporate this into the course. What it is, is a listing. Uh, it was done on December 17, 2017, of many great religious, political, civic leaders who put together a listing of problems the Declaration seeks to address. And these are just the boldings, discrimination, environmental, economic, miscell well, miscellaneous, politics. We'll probably skip that one. Uh, truths the Declaration seeks to proclaim. All of this is done from a Christian point of view to try to get the teachings of Jesus applied to the social issues of our day. So that day, what we're going to do is break up in the class, and you're going to work in your, in your tables. You're going to take an issue that you think is really pertinent to you, and we're going to take all of this stuff, particularly the synthesis, and apply it to the issue and discuss. We need to find out, does Jesus really mean what he says, and how would it work out that we would practice the Sermon on the Mount in today's world? So, that'll be a fun class. Then, Zev 
will give us a historical overview of how the, and I want to make sure you understand this, how the historic church for the last 2,000 years has wrestled with and interpreted the Sermon on the Mount. And if you only read the Sermon on the Mount one time in your life, you know that you're going to have to do a lot of work to figure out, well, how, how does this apply to my life? Because there are things there that are just apparently... Apparently, hard, yes. I mean, like almost impossible. So we're going to take, Zev's going to lead us through a guide to say, well, what, what have churches, historic churches, down through the ages, said about the Sermon on the Mount so we can put it in its current uh, context? Uh, then we're going to go back in history about 1,000 years. We're going to spend two weeks on Francis of Assisi. Uh, we're going to see a video one week. Uh, called The Sultan and the Saint. Has anyone seen this? The Sultan and the Saint. Uh, PBS, brilliantly done. Uh, very accurate historically, no bias. Tells the story about how Francis went on the Fourth Crusade, and not as a belligerent, not as a fighter, but he went, and when he got there, he got permission from the Christian side to cross no man's land and go and spend about a month with the Islamic forces that were on the other side. And it's, it's, it's one of those times in church history I think everybody should know about. He initially went there to do what? Don't ever sit in the seat again. <laughs> to do what? Uh, that's a generous reading. No, not really. I, I mean, that's great. But it wasn't to unite. It was to convert. He wanted to go there. He, he thought he was going to go in there and just, you know, lay it all out for them, do a few miracles. And the whole army was going to roll over and say, okay, we're Christians now. Uh, it didn't work out that way, but something way cooler did. And we're going to learn about that. And then we're going to find out how it changed Francis when he came back. And we're going to see if there's something for us today in that, uh, in that transformation. So, there's the course in a nutshell. Uh, do I leave anything out here? Last week, we're going to do the same thing as we did here. We're going to end the course at our tables again. We're going to take the Boston Declaration. And now that we've seen how the church has wrestled with this, how Christians have wrestled with it, and we're wrestling with it, we're going to ask ourselves, uh, how, can, how could the Sermon on the Mount, how could Jesus' teachings be relevant for us today, not in Washington, D.C., but where? Can. So that's where we're going to get real focused. You know, not in cement, just ideas. God, what do you want us to do? So, anybody have any questions? Seem clear? Yes, sir. Or, yes. You think it will be a good course? I hope so. Um, I'm going to let Zev talk for a little bit, but I'm going to introduce this video that we're going to see with the remainder of the class. It's 27 minutes long. Uh, Dan Moretti asked me, who does that woman look like? 
And who is that? You thought it was me? No, your grandmother. <laughs> well, I, I, I will grant you this. She is Russian. So maybe you see something there. Anyone know? That's Leo Tolstoy's daughter. You know, Tolstoy is this mythical figure that lives up in the Alpine Mountains somewhere. It's crazy to think that the guy had children that actually lived. She died in 1979. She has been around in the 20th century for a long time. So she's introducing this little video. Um, it's called Martin the Cobbler. Has anyone ever seen it or heard of it? Uh, Zev, what's the alternative name? Where God, love is, there God is also. Right. And uh, you'll hear her say, she's got a little bit of a thick Russian accent, uh, that Tolstoy considered this to be his greatest work. And we're talking War and Peace, Anna Karenina, and a torrent of other stuff. He's rated as one of the greatest writers. He said, this is my best work. Wrote it when he was 57 years old in 1985, or 1885. And having said all that, we're going to see it. Zev, why don't you chat for a little bit, and then Mike, as soon as he's done. Could you? Okay. Couple of things. First of all, apropos of what John was just talking about, if I can flip this over... There is a website that has the original story. And if, I, if someone would inform me as to who to forward it to, but https colon slash slash all that stuff, en.m.wikisource.org slash where underscore love underscore is comma underscore their underscore God underscore is underscore also. Okay? You got to be exact. To, forget, to err is human. To forgive is not within the parameters of computer, computer software. Oh, and by the way, one thing I was just had to observe while John was talking. Never invite a biblical scholar to a neighborhood Bible study. <laughs> um, I wanted to start was something that happened last night. I was uh, coming home from the bus station where I work. It was dark. I'd had a pretty good day. It felt very good, though, to be done with work. I was already in a good mood about getting home and fixing myself some nice comfort food. And as I was walking up to my... I don't have a porch light on. As I was walking up to the porch, I saw something dark hanging on my doorknob. And I said, that looks like a book bag. And sure enough, it was. And I brought it in. And my wonderful neighbor, whom I have not actually formally met, Sylvia Robinson at 811 Broad Avenue, just a couple doors down from me, had a note inside saying, I see you almost every day with a book bag, and it inspires me. I make bags from things like old jeans and other things. And so I made this for you. Extremely thoughtful. And what I've been doing since last night is figuring out how to use all the neat little pockets. 
that I have on it. So I've got a pocket for my cell phone, and I've got a pocket for my Kindle, on which I downloaded the original story also. So I've got all of these wonderful pockets and everything in it. So that put me in a good mood for a fresh start. This morning when I got up, as I usually do on Sunday mornings, I listened to Krista Tippett's On Being. And she had a wonderful guest on today. I especially listen when it's a poet. And it was the poet Michael Longley, who is from Northern Ireland, uh, parents born in England. So he is considered one of the poets of the troubles, as they call it. And as I was listening to him talk about poetry in general and his poetry in particular, I every now and then scribble down a poem or two since my attention span has grown very short. It's usually a haiku. And so I uh, really and truly did uh, scribble down a haiku. Life is what is left when all human contrivance has been swept aside. Life is what is left, actually away, I'm sorry. Life is what is left when all human contrivance has been swept away. And so one of the things that I would like to encourage you to do, um, one of my favorite modern biblical scholars, though probably not one of John's, is Marcus Borg who in every title of his, every book, a title of almost every book, he manages to incorporate the phrase, again for the first time. Meeting Jesus again for the first time. Reading the Bible again for the first time. And what he's talking about doing is what I would encourage you to do in the coming couple of weeks. And that is to read the Sermon on the Mount again for the first time, as if you had never seen it or heard it before. Uh, So set aside all of your footnotes, set aside all of your annotated Bibles, set aside all of your commentaries, all of your Bible dictionaries, all of your Bible encyclopedias, and, yes, John, sorry, set aside your handouts and just except the part which has the Sermon on the Mount, and read it as if you were reading it again for the very first time, with fresh eyes. Make a fresh start on it. And that before any of us start talking about it. And... uh, One thing also, I did want to correct one thing. The correction I asked John to make is to put the word rabbinic in inverted commas. I'm not a rabbi, and I don't even play one on TV. And those of you who snickered at that are giving away your age. Um, So, but at any rate, you know, I have had, in many ways, a rabbinic education, And so one of the things that I've got in my brand new book bag, which is going to serve as my basic text, when I talk about the Sermon on the Mount, you'll notice which way does this book open? Right to left. This is the Aramaic Peshitta version of the New Testament. And on the facing pages, 
it has a Hebrew translation directly out of the Peshitta. Because what I want us to do, and what I'm going to try to do, is to see this as a rabbinically trained, Aramaic-speaking Jewish person would see this. Because that's really the people for whom it was spoken. And by the way, it was spoken. So the correct way to read the New Testament again for the first time, or the correct way to read the Sermon on the Mount again for the first time, read it to yourself out loud. In fact, if you are a married couple, read it to one another. And actually listen to it. And I think that pretty much says all that I'm going to say at this point, except one thing. Oh, yeah, one little thing. Before we actually watch the video, um, in a sense, the real genesis of this course came from John and I discussing the writings of Leo Tolstoy. And I was actually reading some of his writings and, Judge, I have to say this, I, I, I was appeared as a potential juror in Judge Haas's court uh, a little while ago. It's a darn good thing that I read Leo Tolstoy's writings after I got the summons to appear as a potential donor, uh, juror. Because I wouldn't even be able to make it that far uh, if I'd read it. So that gives you some idea of some of the perspective from which we're coming. Any questions? Let's watch a movie. No, no popcorn. You know, When my father was asked, do you consider the best of your works, War and Peace? He said, no. The best stories I ever wrote was What Men Live By and What the Cobbler. These are the stories that give you something for your soul, for your mind. And a story like the story of Martin the Cobbler reflects what he believed in. There lived a cobbler, Martin Adige by name. He was a good cobbler, honest and fair with his prices, and so there was hardly a pair of boots 
in the village that he did not know by sight. Vladimir? Good day, Mortin! Oh, oh, Vladimir, it's you! Well, you were expecting maybe Saint Nicholas? <laughs> no, but I expect you to kick the snow off your boat, please! Oh, yeah. And shut the door! Now, what can I do for you, Vladimir? Oh, not for me, my friend. For the village. <laughs> I came to see if you wanted to help gather wood for the wood festival. And afterwards, we could show the young ones some of the old dances, like old times. Hey, friend, what do you say? I say no. I am too old. I will stay here and work. Too old? Come now, Martin. You are not as old as I myself. And I am but a pup in his prime. Oh, oh, oh! <laughs> Vladimir, maybe you still feel young. I do not. Life has been good to you. For me, not being so good. I would like this old shoe you see here. Stitched and re-stitched. Sold and re-sold. Now there's very few miles left. Very few. What about the townspeople? The townspeople. Uh, suit yourself, my friend. I will come by in a few days to see if, if you change your mind. I will not change my mind, Vladimir. Good day. Very well, Martin. Good day. And shut the door! Poor Martin. It seemed to him there was nothing left to live for. Oh, there was his work. But the work was becoming harder and harder. His hands had become unsteady and his eyes dim. As a young man, Martin lived for his family. While still an apprentice, his wife died, leaving him with a baby boy to care for. The child was a joy to him, but as soon as he reached an age when he could help his father, he fell ill with a fever, and he too died. Martin gave way to despair, and in his sorrow, he blamed the Lord for taking his family away from him. He wished that he would die too, 
For Martin, the days passed almost unnoticed, one after the other. He remained faithful only to his work. Why have you come to see me? I was told I would find an expert cobbler on the other side of this door. <laughs> that you have, pilgrim. Come in. Come in. Now, what is it that you had in mind? New heels? New soles? I need a new binding for this ancient book of the Lord. I am greatly honored, but I'm afraid you have come to the wrong cobbler. God and I have not been getting on well. Take this precious book to someone more holy than I. Now I am sure you will do fine. But tell me, what is this trouble between you and the Lord? I am without Holy man, all I ask of God is that I may soon die. Perhaps you are in despair, Martin, because you live only for yourself. What else is there to live for? For God, Martin. He gives you life. You must live for him. Read the book. Perhaps it would help. I must leave now, for a long journey lies ahead of me. 
Take care, Martin. I'll be by next week for the book. Farewell. Goodbye, Pilgrim. And thank you. open and Martin felt himself drawn to the words. He read the story about a rich merchant who invited the Lord to be his guest, but neglected to show the Lord any signs of welcome. Oh, that merchant. What kind of man? Must be like me. He truly thought of himself. No care for his guest. Yet, who was his guest? The Lord himself. If he were to visit me, would I behave like that? No. If the Lord were my guest, I would give him all the signs of welcome.
going crazy with age. Stepanich comes to clear away the snow. And I imagine it is the Lord coming to visit me. Oh, foolish old man that I am. yourself a bit. I'm sure you must be cold. <laughs> May God bless you. My, my bones do ache for sure. <laughs> It's just that I heard something last night that gave me the idea that the Lord was coming to visit me today. I can't get it out of my mind. So you, you keep looking out the window because out you thought, thought I thought that I I thought you were <laughs> 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 Thank you, Martin. You have given me food for body and soul. Uh, you're very welcome. I'm glad to have a guest. Good day. Stepan. Please come again another time. him better in a warm place. Come this way. Oh, don't bother with the snow, my dear. I'll wipe it up later. All in a day's work. Sit down by the stove, my dear, and warm yourself while I mind the baby. I have had children of my own. Oh, thank you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> 
so. You haven't any warmer clothing? Oh, I had to pawn my shawl only this morning. Take this, my dear. It will keep you warm. <laughs> oh, the Lord bless you, friend. Surely he must have sent you to your window, and the child would have frozen. Yes, it was no mere chance that made me look out the window today. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. What's the matter, little fellow? Have I been too tidy with all the crumbs? Here you are. be whipped for an apple, what should be done with us? Well, I suppose you're right, but they are getting terribly spoiled. Then we old ones must show them better ways. Here, now, tell the good woman you're sorry. I... I'm sorry. Hmm. Well, I've got to be getting home. It's almost dark. Here, just be help. Oh, don't be so sure of yourself, young man. I live all the way up past Master Lermontov's house. So do I. I have to go that way anyway. I'll show you what I like to say on the bridge. You mean my Nisko bridge on edge of town? That's the one. Oh, well, isn't that strange? I used to play there myself when I was Oh, 
only the lamp lighter, my little friend.
Lord, we can forgo the rest of the Russian music. <laughs> I mean, it's nice, but uh, we only have a few minutes left, uh, which was designed. Uh, we wanted you primarily to think about this little clip. But uh, let me ask you a startup question. Uh, where does uh, the Lord speak to Martin through when he's reading the Bible? In the end, particularly. Oh, yes, but I mean, when he's reading the Bible, what, what text, what passage, what... Ah, Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Right. 35 through 45. You're very familiar with this. Okay, so uh, the idea at the book, in the book of Matthew is what? When you, how you treat other people is in effect... So to live that way, then we would have to begin to do what? I mean, what would have to happen to us to truly live that way? What are some things that would have to happen? Well, you would have to, if he says, if, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me, then somehow you would have to find a way to see in that person the reflection of Christ. Just think about that. That's what Zev was talking about for the very first time. Think about if that's how we were given the grace to live and treat people that we don't even know like they were Jesus. So this is Tolstoy's word to us. Next week we're going to see how Matthew 25 relates to the whole book and to the sermon we're going to show you the, the way Matthew structured his gospel, and we'll see how the Sermon on the Mount explodes out of that. So let's pray together before we go. Thank you so much, God, for our teachers. Thank you for people like Leo Tolstoy who sought for you and fought for you and wrote for you. And thank you for him pointing us to Jesus and how you would want us to conduct ourselves and live and be in this world. We need your grace to do that. We're so far away. But through these weeks that we study together, may your spirit empower us to see what you see and to do what you want us to do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Bye. See you. Take care.